let's get a quick sound check with everybody's name. So, um, this is Dave. This is Joanna. Everybody's name. This is Blake. And Will. Yanni, please. Yanni, over here. Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. We were talking about, and before we decided we should record this, we were talking about, uh, well, we started talking about the old school renaissance and how um, role-playing in D&D specifically was a lot more lethal back in first edition. And, Blake, you had a take on... So this was sort of the evolution of this idea of D&D being a lethal thing and for characters, characters being somewhat expendable, the expectation of, of, of character death. And you were talking about how in fourth edition, Blake... Well, why don't you describe how... Well, fourth edition was designed by a committee... Doing marketed during Saturday morning cartoons to children is a somewhat scathing way of describing it. But the point is that whereas 3rd edition was born out of 2nd edition, 4th edition was born out of, oh crap, oh crap, everybody's playing World of Warcraft instead of D&D. How can we fix this? And so it became, uh, Hagov likes to call it, the the memorpigification I'm never going to get that word. Which was a common right. criticism of it when it came out. I mean, that it was very much like an MMO with powers with recharge times and things like that. The point the point we were discussing specifically, though, was that uh, losing isn't fun. And there's two opposing forces there. One is that nobody really wants to lose. So why build a system in which players are likely to lose? Like 3rd edition with its amp, you know, ample save-or-die spells and... Amounts of damage, you know, a wizard a wizard at level almost can't throw an aggressive spell, like a fireball or a bolt of lightning or something, that he could survive. On the other hand, if failure isn't possible, success isn't meaningful. And those are kind of the two forces at work. I said this earlier, and Yanni was like, yes, yes, that's exactly what I mean. It's true. I mean, one of, one of the best campaigns I ever ran was a first edition... D&D uh, Orcs of Far campaign uh, Everyone played humanoids The only person who Was basically immune to death was the troll And that was mostly just Because the players kept trying to kill him Themselves and it was more entertaining If they didn't complete the job And he came back the next day But you know but They, they were playing kobolds and goblins And gnolls and This is an in-party troll Yes <laughs> like and he, we we had a troll, a knoll, a kobold, a goblin, and maybe a half orc. I don't know. It was it was a rather diverse cast, and some several people changed as they died. Um, you know, they would when, when when there wasn't enough people to be a, a sufficient scouting party for Thar anymore. They would go back to camp and uh, recruit some more people. Yes. Um, so, so you were saying though that like so the threat of the threat of the character death and and TPK is a, is a big part of the older editions like the survival impulse part of the appeal of OSR and I think you would agree with this is it's the suspense oh yeah it's the going to the dungeon and not knowing what's around the next door and if you're not careful you threat know. would be a terrible game if nobody died yep that's certainly the appeal of OSR but 
there's a certain mass marketing element. Like I said, fourth edition. Absolutely. I keep saying this. Fourth edition was the best is the best designed role playing game ever made. They put the most effort into their design. It was the most designed game ever played. I don't like that definition better. <laughs> I, I, I do love the you can't fail in fourth edition because you know it is sometimes too fun to play and not worry about losing and be you a big damn hero. Yeah, but you were saying like like some people really dislike games where there's no stakes, where my character is nigh invulnerable, and even if I die, it is just a trip back to the nearest temple and five thousand gold to mm-hmm. to bring me back. And you know we we've said there's 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 people that played in your one in the one piece fourth edition campaign which was a fourth edition campaign and enjoyed it who have that opinion that if there's no stakes and you were saying how the party twice at level 21 went up against a level 30 monster well the uh nigh on a god both times mm-hmm. and won yes one of them was uh king minos yes the uh the, the righteous Yes, he uh, informed the party that uh, they, they basically had a disagreement with King Minos. This is the same King Minos who assigns a layer of hell to people. Um, and uh, Assigns people to a layer of hell? Blake created an interesting mythology for the afterlife since there wasn't one in the fiction. We'll get into that, you know. When we tell that story. Sure. Um, but the point is, he was like, well... Maybe I should actually save this for the for yeah. It's not but righteousness makes righteousness. righteousness. Yes, yes. Anyway, so thing. the um, and he was level thirty, so he was righteous mm-hmm. and therefore righteous. Uh, and but that was up against a party of eight. Yeah, since we did have eight characters running around in the party at the time. In fact, was it eight or was it ten? Did we still have Alfred? Back then? Yeah, I think it was eight. No, anyway, yeah. Alfred's characters were dead by then. Uh, they were plot dead. <laughs> but I pushed well, I that. Saying. I. Hey, what's up? Hello. 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 You're not interrupting. No. Have a seat. I can always cut off any extraneous audio. We're talking. The point is, in the third edition game that I ran, I pushed the uh, the power balance curve pretty brutally uh, in order to get to the point where the players did feel meaningfully threatened. The fourth edition. Yeah. What did I say? Third. That's okay. Yeah. Um. But, so here's the other thing, right? Um, we know Heiko well, takes out Saber Dies when he plays third, or he runs third, and as long as the players are not willing to use them themselves, well, because he thinks it makes the game more fun. He's moved to saying, he's moved to calling them save or don't have fun. Save or don't have fun. Which is true in some cases. I mean, a thing that's like, you don't participate in this, this combat, but I think one of the things is that, like, we've been trained by video games. I was talking about this, like, I only second and first edition D&D I played, played was, like, the old gold box games and, like, you know, Pool of Radiance, the, the, all the dra- old Dragonlance games and stuff where I had the Beholder, where it was expected to fight everything because fighting, the combat, the tactical combat was actually part of the fun of the game. So we've all been trained to, like, clean out the dungeon, kill every last monster, go everything, unless the game was like, no, you absolutely cannot possibly defeat this guy. Would you like to still fight him? In which case you say no. Or you try, you save, and then you say yes, and you die, and then you say no. Yeah. Um, or if you're really hard nosed, you save and you go back five or six times trying all in kinds one of, of the later, things. In one of the later Goldbox games, you walk into a room and there's literally, I think there was something like a convocation where a whole bunch of beholders, liches, and something else, some other horrible things were having a meeting. They were just having like a little <laughs> chill party. It might have been mind flares, I don't even know. There was just there's a whole bunch of underdark nastiness all in this room. They were like, yeah, there's like this this powwow. There's a convention going on. Make some noise or run away. And like the correct answer is you run away. They actually had you could actually get in that fight. 
it was not possible for any of your guys to take a turn before they were all dead. But you totally get in that fight. But barring that, like outside of that room, everyone's been trained to like just kill everything. Everyone's been trained that anything is killable. So like in any of these games in D and D, like one of the things that I used to like to do was I used to like to sometimes in a dungeon there'd be like a you know a bunch of CR three uh, third level characters be like a CR eight demon. They could just have a conversation with the demon. They shouldn't fight that demon. And I made it real clear to them that I mean I made it clear enough that they shouldn't fight it. But there's a whole lot of players that would attack the demon. Oh yeah, yeah. Before even you get a chance to s- explain that you know this might not be the best idea. Yeah, uh, it's go. a demon. Kill it. Yeah. Um, no, that guy's got the wrong number of eyes. Let's fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think part of it, what you were saying is like you were saying fourth edition. You know, yeah. It's designed so that you don't lose, but it's designed so you don't lose. Assuming modern video game inspired level design, where everything is within a band of a couple of levels of your level, and therefore any fight is potentially winnable. Mm-hmm. If we only had a party of four characters going up against a level thirty monster, four characters that weren't all pretty tweaked, <laughs> um, going up again, and, and you know, with all custom gear, because that actually makes a big difference yes, too. It does. Going up against a level thirty monster with four level twenty one characters is probably suicide even in 4th edition. Mm. We could have taken it. <laughs> and we would have tried. <laughs> well, that I, was that kind of campaign. That, no, that was a campaign in which case all problems are solved by punching. and you if, Because if, it was you, One Piece. It, it was, <laughs> and it was, that's how One Piece rolls. It's, it's shown in anime. Problems no are matter, solved by punching. There, it's irrelevant how powerful the opponent is. Because you know, because you're the good guys, you have to win. And even if the bad guy kicks your ass, you're not all going to die. You're just going to come back later on in the saga or the arc and kick his ass. Mm-hmm. It's true. Because that's how it happens. You'll be beaten within an inch of your life. Yeah. But that inch will regrow to at least five inches, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I know how we're doing that to you guys. No, I don't no think so. you could have, though. <clears throat> we would have trusted you to. Because that's the type of campaign. Well, it was sort of my backup plan with all that. Because I did throw a number of things yeah. at you that were kind of spooky. <laughs> we know. We saw them. Could have easily gone wrong. <laughs> we know. And that's one of the things that made it fun, is that there was the possibility of failure. Yes. But not Which, the pro- But we knew that even if we failed, it wouldn't be the end of the characters that we It wouldn't came be the end of the story. Yeah. That's the thing. And maybe that's the happy medium. Maybe it's the, yeah, they could wipe you out, but that's not the end of the story. Well, I think that the fact of the matter is that there's a different. It's a game doing a different job. Yeah. It's wrong to try and justify these games against each other. Because players want different stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Apocalypse World is a a collaborative storytelling game. Dread, or first edition D&D, is a risk management game. A game that... uh, Well, Dread is genre simulation. You you go in expecting to die and dying can be fun. It's like paranoia. Yeah. Mm. Paranoia, they give you... You get six clones because you're going to die some. If you play well and you're good, you might get out of an adventure with two or three clones left. <laughs> I think Blake is right, though. I think, I think, I think, yeah, there are other games like First Edition D&D, and that was a different appeal to the player. This was a challenge. And you had to use your wits, right, to solve it, or your character was going to die. <laughs> the point of this, the point I'm making, though, is that these high-risk, mm-hmm. like, not every problem is a problem that you can solve, and if it is, or, or what was the, the thing I said before was, um, 
problems that are designed without uh, where the designer doesn't know how to solve them. Yep. Where they're just like, here's a, it's this is not math homework, where I know the right answer. This is philosophy homework, <laughs> <laughs> where there is no right answer, unless there is. In which case, hooray for you, and we'll put you up on a little a little palanquin and carry you around. <laughs> the, the Nobel Prize in role play. <laughs> Note to self: <laughs> revise life goals. <laughs> but I mean, like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and and you and Heiko both thoroughly enjoy throwing those problems for which I do not know a solution at the players, and I think that's something that you don't get in Apocalypse World because ultimately, in one of these games, these indie games, the tendency—not not the absolute—but the tendency is the players will either find a solution or make a solution, and ultimately, whatever the players decide to do is a solution. Maybe not the... You've talked about this before. Even in D&D, you do this, Yanni, mm-hmm. where whatever the players come up with is a solution. It may not yeah. be the best solution. They may have higher DCs. You just pick the best solution from the players and give it a chance to work. Exactly. They don't fuck everything up with the dice rolls and the yeah. changing their mind midstream. Uh, <laughs> and the and the, the 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 risk is that the die rolls could go bad and everything could go terribly wrong. Not that we picked the wrong thing to do. That is actually the biggest thing that I like about the whole indie revolution is the failure isn't binary. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love the thrill of yeah, if things go bad, you could die. You, you might have to make a new character. The whole party might have to make a new character. If there is a party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe the rogue escapes back to town to hire a new band of adventurers to try and recover the other people's corpses so you can res them. Stuff. Uh, or maybe he just Which is up. totally the transition between disc two and disc three of the Monsters campaign, I'm just saying. <laughs> but but you know, you've you've got you've got that risk, but you've also like in, in Apocalypse World, yeah, the character the PCs are tough. It is really hard to kill a PC. It doesn't happen often. Uh, it is easier than in 4th edition to kill a PC. But it's a novel uh, simulation. So you expect some characters the, the to die ma- depending on the way the novel works. The ma- it, would, it would suck if the main character just kind of died and then that was the end of it. <laughs> if Harry Potter like died in like the 8th book well, or something like that, hold on a second. that'd be it's, so lame. It's an ensemble cast. It's closer to Walking Dead or Game of Thrones than it yeah. is to Harry Potter. Uh, yeah. And certainly in Game of Thrones, important people die. Yes, but it was hard, and they had to fuck up really badly. <laughs> in Game so, of Thrones? No. They people die all the time. They're not like, main characters. Not yes! Like PCs! Sometimes multiple times! Sometimes <laughs> twice in the same chapter. You're spiking the audio, man. It's my <laughs> uh, uh, but but anyway, something like Walking Dead in, in a little in genres that are a little softer in their characters than um, Game of Thrones is an extreme example. In ensemble casts, we do not often kill off important fi- characters. Firefly, not many people yeah. die. In Firefly, and Buffy, not many people be. died. Some people died. Terrible. Yeah. Um, spoilers. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, spoilers for, for Buffy. Here's the spoilers for Game of Thrones. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. <laughs> Eventually. Um, one of them won't. Yeah. Unless the uh, unless the Winter Whites win. Unless the Walkers win. <laughs> In which case, everyone dies. It's possible. <laughs> Walking yeah. Dead, the TV show, would be real hard for them to kill everybody right now because they don't have any new protagonists. Yeah. Um... But in the comic, 
Maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've got we've got some new protagonists in the Walking Dead comic. We've got Jesus, the man, the man and, they call Jesus, and, uh, the King. Uh, what's his well, King Ezekiel? Yeah. That's and I mean, the thing is that that's but that's how Apocalypse Worlds works too. Because what happens is at some point you players start taking second characters, mm-hmm. and maybe they retire character safety, maybe a character dies, but like if a character dies, but often before that player is going to grab a new character. So you're rotating where people aren't interesting anymore. That's typically mm-hmm. when they. Where it would be interesting for them to leave That's the, the story. That's the death that you die a thousand times. <laughs> for, I'm sorry. Will's making a face at me because Will's the only person to die in Apocalypse World in two seasons. <laughs> to be fair, I asked for it. He did. Explicitly. By he, becoming he, uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> Burn! He went there. But Roast beef. <laughs> well, that is a good argument. <laughs> Who can say no to that spaghetti face? <laughs> So, um, so what's everyone been playing lately? That's a thing. The game where we wish we were playing something. Terra Mystica. A board game about terraforming and cults. <laughs> Magical terraforming, mind you. Uh, I think Terra Mystica would be a really cool game to discuss if a second person at this table had played it. <laughs> Yeti's always the one to plug something that no one's ever heard of, but they're all they always suddenly good games. Oh no. And if I could make it to the storeboard on Thursday nights, I'd totally play with you. Terra Mystica is far from never been heard of. Yes. Yeah, like everyone who's played it at the store seems to rather like mm-hmm. it. I just haven't I mean in this room. It's one of those Her yeah. husband's played it. Oh, yeah, right. Patrick has reported back to me about it. Oh well. Sort of technical detail. So you have a you have a, you have a marital opinion then. I have a marital I have a marital hearsay opinion about it. An opinion in law, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, common law opinion. Um, yeah, so Patrick likes it. Patrick really enjoys it. Um I think he won both of the games he played, which yeah. might be coloring his uh it, it, I'm perception. sure it does, but that's that's Patrick. Um he he is most of his, it, it, it's sort of like listening to the rundown for a football game you haven't watched to hear him talk about. Uh, he gives you a play-by-play. Play. He gives me a play-by-play play about, like, and so so-and-so was playing this person, and their cult had these abilities, but I fenced them in, and there's the ability to connect cities via ships, and that's very important, and... Now he's not like his head. Yes. This is a bill with it. This is this is what he did uh, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, exactly how he beat you all. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, ships. I totally go ships. for the ships. Totally thought I had the longest city. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he took it away from me. A <laughs> uh, thing that I will say about Terra Mexico that I know, as a retailer, <laughs> is that uh, it has all the wooden pieces in it from both Settlers of Cata- of Catan <laughs> and Carcassonne. And a couple of other things. Uh, let's go with uh, Power Grid. Sure. Um, yeah, it's got houses and... Uh, I don't even know what they're called. They're, they're cities in Catan. I think they're trading houses, maybe, in Terra Mystica? Or I'm just calling so, them So in other words, if you lose some, or you have the other games, you just have extra pieces, or, or Yeah, what? sure. Yeah, it's a good so, deal. There's six colors. Mm-hmm. So, Whoa. settlers, I'm not sure. So you get six-player Catan. It's fine. <laughs> well, I, but I'm not <laughs> sure Catan is in the same color schemes. I know that uh, Catan roads are Terra Mystica bridges. Yes. And in Terra Mystica, you get three. And in Catan, you get 14. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, watch out for that guy that 
you're playing Tarek Mystica with and also own Settlers of Catan, make sure he's not sleight of handing extra bridges in. <laughs> you know, I think I, I, think I, could, I think I could come to four. <laughs> if you could build a fourth bridge, I would be pretty surprised. Uh, like, they, they have, like amass the resources necessary? Yes. Mm. Uh, it is it is similar in Agricola to Complexity, or Agricola. I'm Any of sure the above. How to pronounce Latin. Uh, it's not actually as complex, but it looks like it is. Just the taste of it, Agricola. <laughs> I uh, I ran I, I ran a Dungeon World session with actually a lot of the folks in this room, all the folks in this room, in fact, last uh, on Sunday, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, killed my first player. Yeah. He brought it on himself. Um, the paladin always asks for the extra damage on a ten up. Mm-hmm. I was it was weird to me how happy James was about, was about that actually. I was very proud of him. Yeah. It's extra storytelling, because just like in D&D, death isn't permanent. Yeah. But it'll cost you something. Like a neat story. Yeah. And now we have, like, half zombie paladin running around in the party, which is going to be a lot of fun. I might have preferred for him to stay as a ghost. Yeah. I was actually... If we had let him do stuff as a ghost, if we made, like, a ghost playbook... I thought about it for a while, but then I thought, like, I don't want... This is his first time playing in the game that I've been in. I didn't want to scare him off by making him into an ineffectual, like... Ghost that could just sit around and taunt people. Although that sort of seems like everything he wants. Well, you could dump your emotional baggage on them, and he can get XP. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, we'll have to see. Well, I'm also, to, um, also, um, your, your husband seemed life. interested mm. in trying out his resurrection spell, so I wasn't yes. going to stop him from yes. doing that. Mm. He was very excited about. It. And that still, it still provides some plot there. But the interesting thing was, I tried a thing in the last few episodes, which was setting up a. Shonen anime style, One Piece style, like destined battles, big bad with like lieutenants that were all matched up against different uh, players, and it worked out surprisingly well. I think Blake, your response was that was a thousand times better than I expected it to be. Yeah, <laughs> that like, sounds like me. I did have I did have his half orc barbarian. Um, did I fight, ma- fighting a fire giant one on one? Did I perhaps preface it with don't take uh, uh, no offense, but. <laughs> Well, like, unfortunately, no, no, saying no offense doesn't actually make that well, I think, happen. Blake, no, no, but it, it allows you to start emotionally preparing yourself for the offensive made, statement that is incoming. You made it, no, you made it abundantly clear that you well, thought there was absolutely no sane way that your character could go toe-to-toe with a fire giant. And you said, this is going to be terrible. You told me this. And I didn't I said, say this is going to be terrible. You said you suspected it was going to be terrible, or something that effectively translates to the same phrase. And I said, trust the GM. And you did, and it worked out. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I so, trusted. You trust? Yes. I trusted. <laughs> Which is a poor choice for you. No, it's fine. Because <laughs> I always have my tongue to lick stuff. Rat got his hands on some goblin jerky, so it all worked out. <laughs> and magic self-throttling tongs. Yeah. <laughs> Which I hope is your new weapon of choice. Not so much choice. I was going for the axe, but, you know. You blew the roll. I'll take what I get. Now you have tongues. Grack is a barbarian. He hits things with things. The, the beauty of the dungeon world damage system is you don't even have to have a weapon. I do d12 damage with my ass. If I want to. Although you have to justify how hitting someone with your ass is hack and slash. That's actually the trick. No, it's not anything about hitting. This is a ranged attack. <laughs> That's a volley, then. <laughs> But yes, no. Actually, that's and actually that's one of those things that actually is a big jump for people playing Dungeon World. Is normally in D anD D, it's like if you have a weapon, you can walk up to somebody and be like, "I'm going to roll it to hit." In Dungeon World, you can walk up to somebody and be like, "I'm going to attack this guy." I'm like, "Really? How?" 
Oh, I'm going to punch him. He's an iron golem. He is literally made of armor. You're going to punch him. It says, yeah. Oh, well, you can punch him, but that's not hack and slash. You might hurt your fist. The difficulty is not the AC of the monster. The difficulty is, in Dungeon World, is figuring out how to hurt the monster. Right. <laughs> All bosses that are sort of interesting are puzzle bosses, in, in a sense. Yeah. And, and Grack is, to a degree, as I understand him, a clever barbarian. No, he's not supposed to be. That's me, like, doing it wrong. You can, it's not doing it wrong. I love that he's clever. <laughs> yeah, but he's not supposed to be. But he'd be boring if he wasn't. I have a low int. He'd be boring. That's one thing that I always actually. That's a good. That's an excellent uh, point of discussion that uh, we, we should talk about from a philo- philosophical perspective. Yeah, actually, let's do is, that. Is uh, one of the things in um, that I've grappled with as a DM and as a player for my entire role playing game career has been the uh, interface between a character's mental stats and the mental stats mm-hmm. of the player behind it. I've had a good number of DMs that, when if you want to bluff, if you want to lie, they make you come up with the lie. You personally. You personally come up with the lie and then judge you on how good a lie it is whether or not you, you know, your character should be a better liar than you. I feel like that's a wrong way to do it. However, I understand how, the flip side of this is characters like Grack, who, you know, I'm known to play barbarians and I am not a dim-witted person in real life and I'm not going to be able to have fun playing a dim-witted person in the game, but from a mechanical perspective, the barbarian's not useful, so I... Or the barbarian's intelligence, I should say, is not useful. So I, uh... I, I, I find myself playing barbarians as clever, you know, a cleverness well, there's, approaching there's, my there's own. There's the whole, uh, accidentally clever. You, you dumb into the luck you need. Or there's... Uh, or canny versus... Book smart because sure because he's got plus one to whiz does he not he does so he's a wise but not necessarily well learned person like a barbarian should be you know he might g- not be able to do math but he can put two and two together when everybody has swords and there's four swords and that's bad news you <laughs> <laughs> can do math sword based math <laughs> right. and but I've been trying to find ways to play him as interesting and and like entertain myself and the other players. Without doing anything that seems out of line for a guy that is, you know, borderline retarded. What's this int? Eight. That's not borderline retarded. That's dumb, but not borderline retarded. That's minus one. Okay. I've always... like somebody... That's your average McDonald's worker. I've... Okay. Hmm. Yeah, a whole lot of people make a perfectly good living. Better than than McDonald's hourly employee uh, with an Mm -hmm. int. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well... Yeah, I mean... It's, no, no. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I knew a guy... I had, was, had a very close friend, in fact, in high school who, uh, when, you know, we were the same age and we got IQ tests in, in second grade. And his uh, IQ test came up 78. Which is... I think... I think 70 is considered... In Forrest Gump, it was 70. Yeah, in Forrest Gump, it was 70. So the point is, he was... You know, whereas... Uh, his brother and I both came up at in the 140s. So we were arguably approaching twice as smart as him. Um, you know. And now, obviously, uh, you know, the IQ system doesn't work like that. But I hate the IQ system. Well, but, but let's put it this the, way, too. The, the, the point is, we didn't feel like we were a whole lot smarter than him. He didn't seem like a dumb person. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there were some situations, I can remember uh, once or twice in our, you know, decades of friendship, that a situation came up and... 
Like, it took him a second to grok what was happening, but it wasn't like he talked slow. Yeah. So, you know. He may not know known a whole lot of big words, but right. he could have a conversation like anyone else. But, I mean, like, a lot of that stuff, like, just a lot of your social intelligence really falls under charisma. A lot of your canniness and situational awareness and ability to react falls under wisdom anyway in D&D. So that's one argument you can make. The other argument you can make is really retarded, like, like profoundly retarded, is int 3, not int 8, mm-hmm. right? Well, so maybe. you're still way far away from and that. And I think int, int 8, intelligence as a general stat, probably represents your ability to go through books in D&D, in the D&D world. Mm-hmm. And learn reading languages and learning spells and stuff when you right. think about it, right? Well, fair enough. And learning a very complex task or trade. Right. Um... The point is, though, that I don't like, you know, if, I have, if I'm if i on a character who's got a higher int than I do, I want to be able to not have to think of the solution, but, you know, make a role to represent my character's yeah. high intelligence. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be a hypocrite and then turn around and have a character with low int who then benefits from my real-world intelligence, because theoretically that low int is, is, is a price being paid for being good at something else. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point you leave it to the DM to say, that's that's cute, Blake, but make an int check. Right. You know, defy danger with int, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think I have ever had a DM condescend to me like that. <laughs> DMs... I'll have to try it sometime. DMs, uh, you know, I have a... I have a uh, a acidic and uh, basic thermal person, uh, exothermic personality. Uh, DMs are a it's container that eye lasers. D- DMs are a container that holds me for as long as they stay in one piece. <laughs> no jokes from you, Will. Who I'm pointing at with my finger in what? an accusatory tone. What? Yes, you. I'm so. armed. But, but Not as harmed as you will be if you prove me right. As I but again, will I've never, be. I've never been bothered by that for the same for that re- exact reason because the, the DM can always have me make a stat check. He always have me make an in check for something or a whiz check for something or a charisma check for something or a bluff or whatever. Right. Like, um, I sort of like that. That so this is actually I, and correct me if I'm wrong. This is like an OSR thing. Is this like your ability to negotiate? Is your ability as a player to negotiate? Sure. Occasionally, you'll have to make a charisma or an int check or a whiz check. Well, and and modifying that with your your stat can be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like you have situational entertainment and mechanical modifiers on everything you do. <laughs> um, if it's if it's entertaining and awesome, that's points towards it. If you've min maxed your character and twinked everything out, that's points towards it happening. If you've given me a good excuse by your role playing. That's points to this happen. If you can get all three and then you roll a twenty, it happens. Now, so, but, maybe, but, but that's the thing is like you come up with a plan, and as a player, it's a great plan. You know, Jim says make an in check. If, if uh, on a success, it's a good plan. On a failure, it's a terrible plan. Why did you think that was going to work? Why did you think that was going to work? But I think it's important that there's a bottom to this. Because, just like anything else, uh, it's not fun to play a character who's too stupid to breathe. For example, Fallout. The original Fallout and Fallout 2 games are role-playing games where you can set your int to 1 out of 10. Mm. When you set your int to 1 out of 10, NPCs shun you. You can play only the main storyline, and they will condescend to you the entire game. People suggest to do it once. Just to see. Just, Just to, to see. see. 
it is not fun. Yeah, so, I mean, just as a contrast to that, I don't often... Um, you know, I have this thing of I decide who my character is, and then I pick their stats, and especially in a game like D&D where to play a certain class, you have to have certain stats. You just have to. And, like, you're limited to what you can pick because you have so many points to buy or so many dice to roll. Yeah. Like, I mean, look at Amy. Amy's second highest stat is Wisdom by only a point or two. And Amy. Right. Yeah. So... Amy, Amy doesn't think at all before doing anything. She just right. shoots things because that's that's her character. And she's like, got street smarts. But it no, wasn't was necessary to make those kinds of things work. <laughs> yeah. It's, she's got wisdom in the sense that she can tell how far it is between two objects that are a hundred yards away. <laughs> yes. She's got perceptual wisdom. Yeah, that's about it. She has good spatial skills. A thing they all you know, a thing that they only rolled into wisdom in D D because it didn't do enough work. I know. Though though, you know, that said, when we played D&D back in the day you rolled your dice and you got your six stats and the first thing you rolled was your strength you you, you didn't get to spl- you didn't you get to splice them out you didn't swap them around no. and then you had to so pick a class based on that you picked a class based so you're so born that, and then you train yes, <laughs> and then you um, die probably and, but, but that meant that you know oh it looks like today maybe I can make a cool rogue with this stat line and uh, you know if I don't really want to play a rogue then maybe I will just take some risky things and I'll get them killed. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> and then know? if you rolled all all trash stats, you would botchy Mick can't find his ass with both hands in Heimer. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but I, I, I sort of I so mean, look, there was there was you wouldn't have to labor under that for long. Sometimes there, your DM would let you re-roll if it was really bad. There are there. Oh shoot! Is it Traveler or Rifts where you can die in character creation? There's a there's a there's a, there's a <laughs> it's Traveler. It's not it's Traveler. Rifts. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's evidently... I haven't played either of these games, but there's evidently an old-school RPG where you can die during character creation. Um, like, as part of your backstory, yep. it's like, <laughs> and, and I die. die. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Freeman, stand and fall. Well, can't you, can't you theoretically die in Burning Wheels character creation, but there's rules for, like, if this would kill you, you go back a step and do something different? Well, I think only for orcs. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's one of those like, yeah, you you no longer can take more life paths because you would have been killed had you taken another one. Yeah. Although you can end up like legless and eyeless as an orc. Um, yeah. But I think that's part of the flavor of orcs <laughs> in, in yeah. Burning Wheel. Orc, and orc people orc. tend to not play orcs in Burning Wheel. I want to play some Burning Wheel. That's beside the point. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I sort of say take your stats with a grain of salt. I mean. Uh, if, if nobody's going to be asking Grack to solve any sort of like to play chess, you know, right. or to, to <laughs> well, read books, even you know what he'd do, he'd do it the same way uh, Alexander the Great did. When Alexander the Great wanted to prove how smart he was, he went over to the Gordian knot and was like, "Hey guys, I'm so fucking smart. I'll solve this Gordian knot." And the guys who were keeping are like, "No way, Alexander, you're not smart enough to untie this knot." He says, "Sure, I am." He takes out his sword and he cuts it in half. <laughs> Before failing for about two hours. <laughs> they tend to take that out of the story. And he says, see, I've untied your knot. See how wise and intelligent I am and how I didn't do this in frustration, you fucking assholes. Why would this even be... Who made this? Well, that's Did the a giant cat make this? That's, I don't get it. That's why you conquer the world, so that you can uh, <laughs> write the history book and make yourself awesome in it. That's how Grack would play chess. So many challenges. But it wouldn't take him two hours to no, get Grack would take your king. Psh. <laughs> <laughs> this chessboard does D12 damage. <laughs> yeah. 
No, it would have been it would have been like Bugs Bunny. He'd been like, okay, so how you play this game? Well, the goal of the game is to take the enemy's king. That that one? Yeah. <laughs> Do I win? <laughs> no, no, you you have to take it with another piece. Ooh, that harder. <laughs> Get two pawns. Yeah. Picks up, picks up. No, you don't use the pawns. You use the rooks because they have little claws <laughs> on the end and be like, now Greg win. <laughs> this easy game. <laughs> Greg always your chest complicated. <laughs> which is which is a great way to roleplay in <laughs> on a barbarian. You would also get an XP for that since you're bucking the conventions of society. Lack of uh <laughs> The important thing is the articles. Lose them articles. Uh, I was reading some discussion on the Dungeon World Tavern on G and it sounded like if anybody got their alignment goal, then the entire party got one XP. But if two people got their alignment goal, I mean, the, party got, you know, the entire party got one XP. I was, um... Here's the thing. I was, um... I was listening to an AP by uh, Walking Eye. They're, they're redoing their, their AP. Um, and I, I seriously miss Jen's old character. Uh, if anyone has listened to the Walking Eye's old AP of, of Dungeon World. Um, but, um... They did a similar thing where there was something where everyone got XP for people hitting party goals or alignment goals. I may be reading that wrong, and I need to go back. I remember that particular set of rules in the book being unclear, or I was confused by them. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say unclear. I personally did not have the intelligence. I failed my in check. Um, I rolled a. I rolled a. I rolled a six on that one. So I'm going to go back and look at that, and it's possible that there may be additional ways that that buys XP for the player or for the, the party. I almost sort of think like like in, like in Lady Blackbird, every time you hit your key, you should get XP for it, as opposed to just at the end of the session, did you hit it or not? Because I think that makes for a little more compelling. Or have all the alignment keys available at, every, at any given time, so if you do any of these things, you get XP for it. Like, I, I sort of feel like just having the one at the end of the session is you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I'm not it's, it's, particularly yeah. worried about it. I just um, I've always I guess I guess I just sort of assumed that failing rolls was the main generator of XP and not hitting keys. Well, like someone was saying in the discussion, how like you could get up to five XP uh, more if you resolve multiple bonds. Or oh, well, yeah, like yeah, every bond you resolve is an XP as well. Right, but you've got bond, you've got. Alignment, and then I don't remember the other stuff he was talking about. I'll, I'll take a look. I didn't. Like I didn't said really... I might be missing out on it, and I apologize if I am. But I, I sort of feel like I don't feel like anybody is particularly like, oh my god, I'm not leveling up fast enough. Yeah, in this well, game. yeah. I, I don't think leveling up is a necessary mechanic for this game. Yeah. I also, I feel like we level up actually pretty quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are rolling a lot, so mm-hmm. hey, we're failing a lot. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> this podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.